Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. It's been a long day. Mr. Sanders has been in the air coming back from uh football country jason i know that uh your sunday's been a long one my sunday's been full of soccer at huff stadium in charlotte before coming home but so let's get it started let me ask you the question i've been wanting to ask you why is larry fedora still coaching football (laughs) in north carolina well uh so you already gave me a heads up. You didn't intentionally do it that, uh, you just wanted to ask that, uh, question. So you wouldn't be called, um, a wimp on the <laughs> message boards, even though I've and, been saying it for like three months now, or two months now, ever since, the, ever well, since ECU, I'll, 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 I'll vouch for you on that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I think I've made my position pretty clear since uh, the East Carolina game, too. But that aside, um, it's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying that, that the the answer is obvious, right? I mean, where's Bobby Petrino? Uh, also, the beneficiary of a $14 million buyout, uh, 2-8, and eight, and he's gone. And he had a year or two of uh, good football at Louisville in his second reincarnation there, uh, as well as during his first one. So, you know, uh, the Bobby Petrino, Louisville parts ways with him without a second thought, apparently, uh, buyout be damned. But in North Carolina, things proceed a little bit uh, trickier. You know, I think we probably don't give this as much attention as we should or barely ever mention it but one constituency that never fails to be heard from in these situations is the faculty and we heard from them we've heard from them at every step of the way in every other coaching change that's ever happened down the pike um is dating back to when jim tatum was hired of course, y'all were just like, you know, sophomores in college when that happened. So you don't, probably yeah. don't remember it as well as I did. I wasn't yeah. even a, twi- I yeah, wasn't that, even a twinkle. Yeah, that was a little, <laughs> little before I was a sophomore, but. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in, in those days, uh, the when they hired Jim Tatum, you know, the, the Daily Tar Heel ran article after article from faculty members about, the obscenity of hiring a professional football coach that the coaches should be amateurs that are just devoted to the game, the way the players are. I'm not sure they're wrong, but that's not the way of the world. And, and, you know, from that point forward, you go down the line, uh, the faculty just raises sand in certain situations. And in this particular situation where they're thinking about if, if they were to have fired Larry Fedora, as is Tommy, apparently your want, um, 
and had to pay that $14 million or whatever it happens to be now, 12.2, I hear different numbers, then what do you think the faculty is going to say about that? That's probably the, the salary of a couple of departments, you know, <laughs> in uh, Chapel that, Hill. I, actually, actually, I can tell you pretty definitively that that's more than just a couple of departments' salaries. <laughs> well, you know, the, the de- yeah, the you department, would know. The department from, from which I graduated, uh, that would be – I think about that 12, 12 million. Um, that would probably be Let's, five we'll departments. Of that. Maybe, maybe, maybe five to 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, that, and, and faculty, believe it or not, I mean, accept it or not, understand it or not, they have a voice in Chapel Hill. You know, they, they make themselves heard. Now, I do and, know some faculty uh, who love them some football, though. So <laughs> some of them that's, are. That's true. The faculty that's are not true, entirely. It's not all of them. No, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not most all of them, them though. <laughs> but uh, you, so, speaking but, of the faculty, let me stick this in here. Speaking of the faculty, if, if you had a, head, a department head of, a, of whatever department you want to be in, and if they failed 85%, of their t- every time they did their job, they'd have been gone a long time ago. Am I wrong? I, I, that's that's a flip side of the coin. That's justifiably correct. But um, I'm just saying that <laughs> if if North Carolina ends up, let's say, I don't think it's going to happen. But let's say it does happen, and they do choose to fire Larry Fedora after this year. Um. The faculty is going to go berserk and don't anybody misunderstand me. The people that were going to accuse Tommy of being a wimp, don't redirect your fire at me. Um, because I say that's a factor. I mean, it's, it's something that you can count on the, the, the chancellor and the athletic director and all those people are going to have people marching in their office that are going to be irate over that. So. Um, I don't know that that's a reason not to do what you need to do. I mean, Tommy has a great point. If you, if you are paying somebody four or $5 million a year to coach your football team, you should expect more than what we've seen out of Larry Fedora the last two years. I mean, that's just, in, in what world does that not compute, right? I mean, no matter where you go, no, no matter what walk of life you're in, if you've got uh, someone at the top of the, the ladder that is accountable to uh, a hiring, firing uh, committee or uh, what have you, and, and they had turned in a couple of years like we've just witnessed, you would quite naturally assume that person would be gone. And at the end of the day, who knows? That may still happen. But why hasn't happened at up to this point, I, I still say there's about 12.2 million reasons why it happened. And Louisville can do what Louisville wants. And Louisville actually is one of the richest athletic departments in the country. Uh, they've got plenty of money over there in Louisville. Maybe not quite as much as they used to have because they've, they've had ran in, run afoul of some, uh, some problems there in Louisville of, of uh, recent years. But Louisville is not North Carolina. I mean, it's not Chapel Hill specifically. So uh, there's a difference there. But in, in other words, I don't know the answer to your question, Tommy. 
<laughs> well, let's, I, I tell you what, and Jason, I want your comments on it as well. And I've, you know, folks listening to this podcast, I, I get it. You want us to stand up and jump around to, and get the pitchforks out and say fire for door, fire for door. And I can do that. I do that right regularly on Twitter probably, but on these podcasts, we try to sort of explain things other than just saying you suck. You know, you can walk around and say you suck, but you know, folks understand that, but why do you suck? And one thing, Jason, that Fedora said post game that I think points to why that fact is accurate for North Carolina the last couple of years is one of the questions at the end of what are you going to do to turn it around? And the man stands there and says, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. And then I think there was a follow-up to a, a, or maybe before, I think it was Andrew Jones said, at one point <laughs> in these close ball games uh, that you keep losing or something to the effect, do you realize you're not as close as you actually think you are? And those are great, I think, great questions for which he had no answer. But I know keep doing what you're doing when you're, three and forever in the last year and a half, two and a half years is not the right way to approach it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot left to say to that one. I mean, at a certain point, uh, unlucky breaks are no longer luck. Once it's, once it's happened enough times, you're not looking at luck. You're looking at a pattern. And I mean, yeah, there's been some degree of bad injury luck, but you know, maybe maybe there's something else that needs to be looked at in terms of what's going on with the, with the injury situation. You know, yeah, you know, you've seen some improvement here and there on defense once in a while. You know, at the beginning of Chiswick's uh, stay, you know, at the beginning of uh, of Coning, you know, that wasn't wasn't too bad, and then you know a few different games this year, but by and large when defensive coordinator after defensive coordinator is unable to produce a quality defense, you know, maybe there's a, another common factor that you have to look at and figure out why it is that no matter what you do at defensive coordinator, you're not, you're not putting out defenses at the, uh, at the, at the grade that, that you should in, in that, in this kind of program. So, yeah, I mean, you do have to start looking and, and evaluating and self-scouting and, and going through each piece and saying, what is it that we're doing that other people aren't? And what is it that we're not doing that others are? Uh, you know, is it organizational stuff? Is it, you know, the in-season uh, weightlifting situation in terms of, you know, asking guys to do a lot of uh, uh, maximal or near maximal lifts during the season. You know, th those, those are the sorts of things. I mean, I know I, I've, I've heard complaints about the latter. I've heard complaints about, you know, maximal or, or near maximal uh, lifts during the season uh, from more than one source within the program. Uh, so including, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about guys that, that really know what they're doing, guys that played at the next level kind of thing. Uh, you know, people, people who know what they're doing. And, you know, I've seen, I've heard that complaint and you, you start going through and, you know, you have to, as a, as a coach, evaluate, what are we doing that, that is, that is costing us? What is it that has made the DNA of the program such that we can hang, we can, we can play to the level of our opponent right up until it really matters. And then we're going to give up plays or we're just not going to make the play that matters. 
you know, what is it that that's missing? And so you have to figure that out. And if you can't figure that out, well, you know, then the administration has to make some other choices. Yeah, but I mean, being close and in games, I see that. I saw somebody on the Petrino uh, thread said, oh, Louisville's getting skull drugged. At, at least we, as in North Carolina, which is one of the things I do not like hearing people say, you're not we unless you play, but I get it. Uh, but at any rate, I'm on a rant this podcast. I'm sorry it's late, and uh, it is what it is. While I'm at it, let me talk about Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. I take a little break, talk about a little food. Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill certainly a good sponsor for Inside Carolina Podcast. They're a wonderful dining option. Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. Enter the code HILLS15 after you've selected whatever you want to eat at the local Chapel Hill area and Chatham County stores. Great for a tailgate option. I've talked about the Western Carolina game will be at 3 o'clock. Good, good idea to get some tailgating done. Get it from Jersey Mike's. They save you 15% off that order. Skip the line, go straight to the cash register, and then you're on off to the tailgate. Come on down to the Bowls lot. Check us out. Bring some Jersey Mike's. I'm probably going to want some of it if I don't already have everything I've got. Again, jerseymikes.com, front slash order. Enter the code HEELS15. Get what you need. Save 15%. Help out the Inside Carolina podcast. Help out Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill. Buck, at what point do the fans have a right to be upset? And that's another thing at the end of the the show or end of the press conference. He was asked, I think Ross Martin asked, what do you say to the fans? And he said, you keep supporting them. That's what fans do or thereabouts. And I don't think there's any fans out there that don't support the players 100%. There was some booing in Keenan Stadium. That's not really good. I don't really like that. Uh, But uh, it wasn't directed at a player specifically. Now, there has been occasions where it was directed at a player in the past. I do not think that was the case a couple weeks ago, and I don't think it's been the case even on our message boards, even though there's been some vitriol. So, Buck, at what point do the fans – should the fans have a say with what this administration does with this coaching staff? I mean, they're the ones that spend the money and pour the money in. Everybody else is getting paid. So your thoughts there? Well, I would say that sometimes Larry Fedora says exactly what he thinks. (laughs) And, it's it's occasions when he does that that he gets in the most trouble. Everybody, you know, complains about uh, Larry Fedora's coach speak and you know talks in cliches and things of that nature. But that's not really gets him what gets him in trouble. And and what he had to say about fan support, I think, is is something that is not going to be taken kindly by anybody. Um, that is, has been a supporter of the uh, UNC football program over these many years because he's saying it's not his job to build fan support. If if you read his comments, then essentially what he's saying is, it's not my job. If you're a, a supporter of UNC, <laughs> You support UNC regardless, no matter what the product is on the field, no matter what the record is, 
if you bleed blue and you're a fan, you're a supporter of the University of North Carolina football team, it's not my job to encourage you or to drum up fan support. And I, I, I have no question in my mind. I mean, actually, I think he really believes that. But I don't think he should believe that. And I don't think he should say that he believes that, even if, even if he does. Because it is definitely a coach's job to build fan support. I mean, when uh, a coach takes his players to a hospital, for example, of course they're doing good. But there's a PR aspect to it that builds fan support. When he does his radio show at the top of the hill each and every week, he doesn't do that because he wants to. He he does that because he's getting paid to do it. Yeah, because he gets and, paid and gets paid pretty well to do it. Let's be real here. Exactly. Right. He's he's getting paid to do it, but part of the what he should be doing in those opportunities is to build fan support. I mean, I think it's absolutely a head coach's job, you know, to go around to all the fraternities, meet with all the student groups, talk to everybody involved uh you know they had a fan development board there at one time i don't know whatever happened to that maybe it's still around i can't remember i don't know if it is or not but you know part of the the whole point of that is to build fans and you know if a head coach isn't going to be involved in that he's not doing his job and that that's that's how i come down on that and and it's one of those times where Larry Fedora says exactly what he's thinking and he thinks it sounds good, but it really doesn't sound good. It, it, it's not what a fan wants to hear. A fan wants to hear. Yeah. I'm the head coach of university and, and I'm there for you, the fan. I want to satisfy, you know, fan interest and expectations. I want the fans to be, proud and excited about their football program. And I want to do everything that I can to uh, enhance and encourage that instead of saying it's not my job. Um, now it probably morale wise, there's uh, he, he's got to be struggling, struggling hard. I mean, uh, and going back to your earlier point, Tommy, about not being anti fedora enough i'd say my column today was was pretty frank about what i saw about the duke game and and how i felt about that and uh it wasn't a put it this way it wasn't a rah-rah fedora post by any stretch but at the very tail end of that uh article that i wrote I, I did comment on it still appears to me that despite these heartbreaking losses that the UNC football team is still playing hard. They're still good, giving great effort. Uh, even though they're having heartbreaking losses, their hearts are not broken. And that's the encouraging piece I put in, in that article, the, about the only encouraging piece. And somebody complained about that in the responses on the message board. They thought I was blowing smoke up their butts because I, I, I talked about the, it appeared to me that the team was still playing hard. And, and, and 
we're at that point now where anything that you say that can be interpreted as a positive is ridiculed as you're just being a mouthpiece for Fedora. You may as well be on his payroll. Well, come on. I mean, let, let's be realistic here. Um, I, I think it might take some of us longer than others to, to reach conclusions about where a regime is and, and why, who's responsible for what, and are there circumstances in play that, you know, can explain some of this, but at the same time, I think pretty much all of us are in the, in the same place, except for maybe the people that have to make the decision. And it's a hard spot to be in uh, for everybody else and for them included. Uh, because if, and it looks like it's almost certain to happen that Fedora is back next year, all of us on this podcast and virtually everybody, you know, on uh, that covers UNC sports everywhere, regardless of whether it's inside Carolina, you name it, whatever media outlet, they're going to be in the position of having to cover a team where they're not, it's, it's a puts it kindly to say, it's a kind way of saying it, that they don't believe in the leadership of the program. And that's a tough spot for everybody to be in. So, um, but going back to uh, Fedora's comments about the fans, I, you know, I, that's just something that I don't think any head coach should ever say that it, that's not my job. It's of course, it's your job. And, and, you need to have explanations for that and you need to, to provide encouragement and saying that how we get better is keep doing things the same way that's got us to, what is it? Five and whatever ungodly number it is now, um, <laughs> 17 or 18, 19, uh, then you, you, you got to find a different pattern, you, you know, you, you got to come up with a different way of saying things, even if you don't mean it. Uh, and that's my take on that. I'm ranting too, Tommy. We're both in the same boat there. Yeah, and if uh, if folks want to come see the Buck and Tommy rant in person, feel free to enter the uh, IC ticket giveaway for the Western Carolina game. Enter the code 217-2017. first year that Carolina and Western uh, – Western Carolina and – North Carolina played, and of course they play next weekend. Intercode two one seven two zero one seven over on the Tarpit Premium message board thread. And just for the just for the record, <laughs> this week for those of you who have more sensitive ears, might be a little safer than uh, some other weeks where you might be able to have that luxury. Why is that? I'm never. I'm, yeah. Okay. My children will be there, so it'll be safer this week for sure. Let me kind of, I don't even know where to go from that. Jason, you need to come sit with us too. Section 206, won't say the row. I don't need the snipers out uh, for us. But but let me let me turn a little bit. Let's talk about this game a little bit. But hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me talk about hillstravel.com because we're going to start ramping up the basketball podcast here lately and Hills Tra- or here in the coming weeks and hillstravel.com is offering just a great uh, trip for Carolina listeners, Carolina followers, Carolina basketball fans. 
It's round trip t- tickets to Chicago. It's two nights at the Chicago Omni. It's a great chance to see Carolina and Kentucky play a little basketball. December 22nd, better, you know, there's not many better places than Chicago around Christmas time. It's beautiful there. Uh, but you get an opportunity, you get round trip airfare from the from RDU to Chicago, round trip from the hotel to the airport, and then you're right there at it. You're right there to see Carolina and Kentucky. So what you do is you go to hillstravel.com now, or you can call 336-855-0060 to book. Remember, heelstravel.com right now, or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Let's talk about the game briefly. Carolina, you know, offense in the first half, I, I don't know what was going on. I mean, it was a shootout. They give up the play at the end of the first half, and then after that it, it goes in the toilet. And we've talked all of, forever about adjustments and how especially Cutcliffe has uh, Fedora's number and the staff's number, which is mind-boggling. Now let me start at the end of that second half. Fortin comes in for one snap. What would you think about that? Because I, I, I pretty much tweeted what I thought about it, and folks can go read it. But what did you think about that? that situation I, I didn't have any problem with it I mean the, I would have preferred him to play the whole game but uh from what it appeared you know it, he he wasn't moving super well when he went out there and you could see that uh, and from what it appeared you know maybe they wanted to keep him from from getting hurt but they knew on one play uh he had a chance he had a much better chance of getting that ball to the end zone than, than Elliot and so they you know they put him out there that, that's not a that's not something I had a, a real problem with do you think he doesn't play or wouldn't or wasn't going to play at all against Western Carolina? Because that's where my issue comes in. Um, and if the coaching staff has so much faith in Elliott to put them in position to win the game, my God, man, why don't you think he can throw the ball 40 yards to the end zone? But that being said, uh, so you've got Fortin. He's, he can't play in both of these final games. So you rest him further against Western and then have him come in against NC State. Uh, that would really be Carolina's only chance in that ball game. Your thoughts on just that, you know, bring in the, the red shirt, not red shirt type deal. That's that's where I was sort of off kilter about playing him for just one snap. Yeah, I'm just not sure how healthy he is and what their plans are there. And so, you know, if you – I mean, I do think they're going to plan on redshirting him. So I, I'm I'm figuring at this point they're looking at it as a wasted season. And why why uh, toss the kid out there if if uh, if you know he, he's if it's not that gonna gonna help that much for him. So uh, I mean that's that's my speculation. And if it's for you know other if it's a, another situation where you know the kid is healthy enough where he would be able to play and play well, then you'd have a chance to see him develop a little bit more. Then I disagree with it, but I don't. I don't know that information for sure. But let's talk about the defense a little bit because we talked pregame uh, that with Carney and Fox out there, that it would be um, a, a time to see Carolina's defense play well. And Daniel Jones, who I know your thoughts on him uh, last year, and the stats may back those up, uh, but now he becomes the all-time total yardage leader against North Carolina surpassing Lamar Jackson's performance last year. Uh, 
your thoughts on what went wrong there? I mean, they they had nothing for that kid, nothing at all, and it was just kind of mind-boggling to watch. Yeah, I, I don't know what thoughts uh, I could have. I mean, it is <laughs> odd that, uh, I mean, let's just, my opinion on Daniel Jones aside, I think we can probably all agree that Daniel Jones is not Lamar Jackson. If there's any dispute about that, please free uh, feel free to email me at taashley at <laughs> yahoo.com. It won't get to me. <laughs> uh but but they made him look like lamora jackson and i don't know i don't know what to do with that and you know um it 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 was apparent that duke made it halftime adjustments and limited unc to one score in the second half well duke only had one score in the second half and the, the defense uh, forced two fumbles, blocked the field goal. Well, special teams blocked the field goal, and they held them on downs to give them a chance for a Hail Mary there at the end. Um, but it's it's like the story of uh, the last two years, and particularly this year more than anything, uh, you can go back to the California game when in the first half, um, the North Carolina offense couldn't score against tall grass. And in the second half, they looked really good. And then in another game, you pick one, you know, the offense looks great in the first half and then looks awful in the second half. And the same with the defense, neither side, the ball. And, and, and this is probably including special teams in the equation too can put together an entire ball game. And to win some games, you've got to have all three phases playing well for the entire game. To win certain football games, that's what's got to happen. North Carolina hasn't had one side, you know, any of the three phases play a consistent game from the beginning of the game to the end this entire year. And and it's mind-boggling. It's hard to explain. I don't think you can explain it just in terms of the other team makes adjustments and UNC Dutton. I think that happens, but I don't think that's a complete explanation. But you you see uh, just a night and day difference between you know, one phase of the ball for a half and that same phase of the ball in the second half. And it varies week to week. They just can't seem to put it together. Uh, just one phase of the ball doing its job the entire game. And and when that doesn't happen, you lose a lot of ball games. Um, so uh, the defense you would expect to have played better because they did have everybody back. Of course, they still don't have Crawford back. And they still, uh, I think, probably the biggest liability and and – Jason probably would agree with me on this is they have had a huge gaping hole in their secondary ever since KJ sales and CJ Cotman became unavailable to play corner. And there doesn't seem to be anything they can do about it. Uh, Patrice Renee has had a great year playing the corner. Um, 
Trey Morrison is a ball player. That kid can play ball. Uh, Miles Dorn, you know, has had great games. Um, but they've got a gaping hole, and that that number filling that hole in is 35, and he gets victimized time again. And the, you can't – a lot of things in football you can hide. You can mask. You know, you can compensate for. But when when you've got one side of your field – you know, that's completely wide open to whatever the um, the offense wants to do to it, then, then you've got problems. You, you need a solution there, and North Carolina doesn't seem to have one. Jason, on the, on the offensive side of our – or on Carolina's offense, what did Duke do differently in the second half? We talked about how the scripted plays work, uh, but the offense was fairly clicking uh, – was clicking fairly well for the entire first half, what changed um, that created the, you know, go from whatever close to 400 yards of offense to 50 for most of the second half? I mean, how does that faucet get turned off? And it's happened twice in Durham now in two years. Well, for one thing, before I get there, I I do want to just note that it's patently evident. It's extremely evident that Daniel Jones has had this game circled on his calendar ever since Buck's uh, preseason <laughs> uh, preseason discussion uh, here on Inside Carolina podcast. I'm just going to put that put that one out there. I think that's evident. Um, you know, you lit the fire under yeah, him a little blame bit. Blame Buck. Blame Buck. Yeah, yeah there they are again. Blame Buck. Buck. Yeah, you know that's that's uh, the way of the world. But anyway. Um, the biggest thing I saw, and, and you know, I'm, I'm still going to go back and take a little bit more of a look at this uh, for, for some of the stuff later in the week, but the biggest thing I saw on the first watch is that they did a much better job in the second half of setting the edge. In the first half, Carolina was able to get to the edge a lot in the running game. You look at Daz Newsom's uh, touchdown, that long, what, 85-yard touchdown. He was able to get to the edge. And, and there was nobody running the alley from the secondary and the player responsible for contain on the front seven just completely was not in the right spot. And there were, there were, there was more than one situation in the first half where, where Duke was just misaligned or the player responsible for the edge was not in the right spot when, when those opportunities hit. And so Carolina was able to take advantage of some of that, both in terms of handing the football off and, and getting big yards out of those plays, but also uh, when they didn't hand those off, they were able to create some gaps inside for, for Carter and, 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 and uh, to be able to create in the, in the running game uh, as a whole. In the second half, Duke was really able, basically Duke stopped worrying too much about the pass and they decided to make sure that they were going to commit to setting that edge and if you watch what happened when Carolina was handed off on that jet sweep and some of the things that they were doing on the edge in the first half, there were, there were often two, two players there to make the tackle. And they were making those tackles uh, you know, for no gain, sometimes a loss, as opposed to those being seven, eight, nine, 85 yards. You know, it's, it's a, it was a different situation uh, in terms of that. And that's really that little adjustment, I think, changed a whole lot for what Carolina was able to do. And then you combine that with Carolina not being able to, to, to throw the ball consistently in the second half. Uh, and then 
not being able to generate the the big the the splash plays that they were in the running game in the first half uh because duke also tackled a little better uh which also has to do with some of the angles and who's in what gaps and all that but it just tightened down and carolina didn't have a good counter uh you know duke was able to to make the adjustment to take away carolina had a great plan but duke was able to make that adjustment to take that take away the the main thing the main things that they were doing and carolina just didn't have a counter uh and weren't able to keep that momentum up in terms of uh of being able to uh to to throw it off of some of that action or do some of the things that you would hope to do against that counter that 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 duke threw at him but one thing we got to have have some props michael carter contends to continues to be a beast out there Jason mentioned Daz Newsom. I mean, this team is loaded with offensive weapons, skill weapons. Um, your thoughts there? I mean, those guys, they need to eat more uh, and, and get fed more, and it's just not happening this season. But it certainly gives some sort of hope that maybe there's something, there's some light at the end of the tunnel that's not a train for the offense specifically. Well, there's that, Tommy. I, I I totally agree with you. If you know, if you think about it, if and we we've, we've said this a hundred times, um, with the right person directing the offense, uh, there would be there's so many weapons on this team. I mean, they have a legitimate number one and number two receiver, um, ARW and Daz. You you put them on. Uh, the 2016 team or the, you know, the 2015 team, you know, both of them are lighting it up. And, uh, you know, there there's Michael Carter that you mentioned. Uh, the, he ha- he went through a little bit of a, a period of time in about the middle of the season where he had a tendency to lose the ball at the worst possible moment he could lose it. Um, but, as far as being a dynamic running back, you know, to me, he uh, is as dynamic as any running back UNC has had in a very long time. He's more dynamic than Elijah Hood. Um, and I would say as dynamic as TJ Logan, but with a little bit more of a um, never say die attitude, I think, than Logan had. So, you know, he, he is really, really and truly a weapon uh, back there at, at running back. Plus, you know, not realistic heels think 2019, but, uh, you know, they're going to get on paper right now all of their uh, offensive linemen back next year. And not just all five starters, but, every player that has started a game for them at all this year, uh, they're getting back. And uh, Marcus McKeithen now has started playing again and getting some snaps. Um, And I think he's going to be a really good player for them before he's done at Chapel Hill. So, you know, that there are some pieces on the offense that uh, if you had the right person directing them and you were asking the question about – you know, how did Duke, you know, adjust in that uh, second half? Well, they decided we're not going to let Michael Carter beat us. We're going to make Nathan Elliott beat us. And Nathan Elliott couldn't beat him. 
And that that's just the name of that tune. You, you cannot have someone uh, that's consistently throwing the ball and any pass over 20 yards seems to fall short or is inaccurate. And it's a problem. I mean, uh, I don't like banging on Nathan Elliott. He's doing all he can do. Um, but at the same time, what he can do just isn't enough for a college offense. It's just uh, too evident really to dwell on at this point. So, you know, that was just my answer to your, the question you posed to Jason. And, but you're right. There are some interesting pieces of the puzzle there on offense uh, for, for next year. If folks want some interesting uh, reading, go follow Zach Smith on Twitter, uh, Twitter, the former Ohio State coach. He is on fire on this Sunday. Jason, let me come to you um, for sort of a way to wrap the podcast. And it's something that's, uh, you know, Greg Barnes had an article talking about is, you know, Carolina's got a lot more issues than the quarterback. And then some people take that as, you know, you know, you're saying that, the quarterback is good enough. How, how, as a, uh, a person that critiques football, uh, how do you balance criticizing the player, or criticizing the people that put him in the position that he's in? Cause I, I think I agree that Elliot is doing, he is playing to the full limits of his potential, but I like Buck think it's not enough. And that's not knocking the player. I don't think that's knocking the player. If you're doing all you can do and you still come up short, then what more can you do? So how do you balance that, Jason, especially when you're looking at these guys, you're grading these guys. I mean, it all comes down to one person and that one person's not the quarterback, but your thoughts there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I just actually retweeted something that that another uh, that someone else posted about Eric Ebron, who's had great success this year uh, in the NFL, and he said, you know, this is his his success at, with the Colts after struggling at uh, up in up in Detroit is an example of two things. And the first one, you know, is just patience for early talented draft picks can pay off. Number two is the one that matters, though. Not only does coaching matter. But coaches that understand player X does this well, let's have him do that a lot, not the stuff he doesn't do well. That's that that matters a lot. And um and getting to your point, I think you're 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 kind of right. It's it's that Elliot is is basically going out and doing the best he's able to do in terms of what he's being asked to do. Uh I'm not always sure that you know he's that that they're asking him to do the things that are that he's most suited for all the time. Uh and you know that as you said, the, the 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 arrow points not just at the quarterback. I mean, at some point, the, the the accountability stops at the top in terms of who's making some of these decisions. So, so yeah, I mean, I I think that I'll just leave it there. Let me get one more commercial break here. I want to ask Buck Sanders the sixty four thousand dollar question, uh, and it is an interesting one. We'll be right back. Buck, positive. Uh, or what you're looking for these last two weeks. I mean, Western Carolina should be a win for North Carolina. For North Carolina, it would not surprise me if it was interesting, but I just don't see that happening. But these next two weeks could uh, be quite interesting in Tar Heel football land with Western coming and then NC State showing up the week after. 
Uh, interesting might not be the word I would use. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, you know, uh, in terms of interest, it, it is really going to be a struggle to uh, develop any interest for the Western Carolina game. You know, maybe Western Carolina will make it interesting. I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, but at the same time, who cares? Uh, as if if North Carolina now were to lose that game, then you're talking about things have gotten interesting. But I, I don't foresee that happening. But then again, I didn't see them losing to East Carolina either. So, uh, you know, it's football. Anything can happen. But the, that last game, you know, I am dreading that last game. Uh, I'm just going to be honest about it. I just dread having NC State coming into Chapel Hill. And uh, North Carolina is just like the, you know, the the wounded zebra on the veld. Uh, <laughs> you know, the all, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the the halt and lame, uh, you know, zebra stumbling across the veld, you know, uh, you know, at the tail end of the herd, and and here comes, you know, NC State licking its chops, and uh, so that's how I'm seeing that game. And and interesting would not be the way I would define that situation. So um, we'll just have to see how it plays out, of course, but. Uh, interesting would not be the, the terminology I would use. Uh, I, I'm more dreading the end of this season than um, than anything else. Although it will be a relief for it to be over with, I'll, I'll say that. I, your uh, zebra comment reminds me of that tweet that's going around. Um, one of the nature sites has got a, a hyena and a leopard eating on the same piece of meat together. And uh, it kind of reminds me of what Duke and Carolina are doing to the Duke and state are doing to Carolina's football program. Um, while a lot of people just watch, it, it's kind of sad. Jason and Buck, I'm going to leave it at that. No, no. I want to, I want to wrap on a positive. Okay. Wrap One positive. positive. Spin positive. So, you know, we were, t- we started this program talking a little bit about, uh, Fedora's comments, right? And that those comments were perhaps where he should have defaulted to coach speak. Well, Carolina fans, he could have he could have gone worse. He could have said worse. Dan Mullen last week made the following statement. I'm going to be honest with you. This is how it works too. When we sell out the stadium, we win a championship. It doesn't go the other way. It's not we win, you sell out. You sell out, you win. Go watch teams that have built programs. That's how it works. So Fedora didn't say that. <laughs> so there's your plus. There's your positive that we can leave this leave the show on. Very so let me get this straight. Let me get let me get this straight. So the positive is he failed to say the most stupid thing in the universe as opposed to <laughs> in the football universe. Something that approximates it. Man, it makes you wish for Mike Leach. What a great interview. Yeah, there you go. All yeah. right, boys. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I, will, uh, I will wrap it now. Uh, so I uh, hope our listeners have enjoyed this one. I hope, Buck, you get some sleep. 
Jason, you as well. Get well. Uh, we'll talk again at some point. Jason, we've got a Western Carolina preview pod to do later in the week. Be looking forward to that one. Boys, it's been fun. Always it's, fun, Tommy. Jason. It's getting le- it's getting a lot less fun, though, but with all these losses. Y'all lucky I like you guys. <laughs> like, likewise. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.